If you would, take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We anticipate closing our study of this particular chapter that we have spent a number of weeks looking at. And this morning, as normally we try to do, things were done with intention. We don't simply think, you, this is a kind of neat song, or this is kind of nice scripture passage we could read together. But we try to do it in a way where uh, we can use our minds and reason together the things that are uh, relatable and things that will help us uh, keep things in context. And that's the reason why I hope that you were shocked by reading Psalm 44, particularly if you were in our Christian growth group this morning and we were reading about how evil and wicked and uh, idolatrous mankind can be and how we can relate to that. And then we come to Psalm 44 and read what sounds like someone who is insulted that God is not listening to him. And that's the wonderful thing about the Word of God, that particularly in the Psalms, there's an honesty that you're not going to get from any other religion. There's an honesty about who we are and about what we feel and about what we desire more than any other uh, system of faith. Ironically, we are also worshiping a God who is holy and righteous above all others. And yet, in the God, in the, the God that we serve is a God of love and mercy that allows us to express our frustration, allows us to, to express things that we don't desire. But at the same time, He does not give us rule and reign to say, okay, well, you got a point there, Mark. You're right. Things are a little tough on you there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I kind of lost track of what I was doing. No, that's not what God does. But even in our frustration, even in our misery, hopefully we'll come to what the psalmist said there as we uh, was read together, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. There is a desire not for selfish elevation. Even within these words that we read together is, is a longing of someone who is wanting God to make Himself known as who He is. And so... To some degree, I hope it's convicting for us to read words like that. Could I ever be justified in praying that prayer? I can't say so. I'm too weak. I'm too much of a wimp. Even though we come to Romans chapter 8, and as we declare wonderfully that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We read that we have, according to the work of the Holy Spirit, been adopted Amen. as sons and daughters of God. We are now His children so that we can call Him Daddy. And then we find ourselves suffering. And then the words of Psalm 44 seem to resonate in our hearts. I recognize the great joy that I have in Christ. I recognize the wonderful relationship I have with the Holy Father because of the Holy Spirit that has adopted me as His Son. 
And then we come to a text that Tim brought us through last time. Suffering. And we need to be reminded that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that we were singing about. So the intention was not just simply to shock you into worship this morning by reading together Psalm 44, but it was also to bathe you in the love and the mercy of God. To remind, it, to remind you and to remind me who we are in Christ. That deep, deep love. The deep, deep love that one day will help me see the glory that will soon be revealed in, in Christ when He returns. And even though, as you uh, may be aware, I'm currently not living in a residence where Amy practices piano, so I don't know what she's going to be playing for offertory. And for her to, to, to play a song like, like A River Glorious, to know that no matter what trial that comes our way, it, it, it falls from God. It falls upon the dial of the sun of love. Tracing every act in our life. So as we worship the Lord this morning, I would like to ask you a question. What, what is your suffering like? I'm going to re-preach the text that Tim has already preached, but just to get you thinking, what is your suffering like? Because Paul gives us a pretty good list to at least go by as a standard. Perhaps you face charges against you. Condemnation, perhaps. Tribulation. Distress. Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger. Perhaps it's a sword. Perhaps you can say, as the psalmist did in Psalm 44, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Is it death? Is anything in life creating your suffering? Do you feel like you are at the disposal of the spiritual powers that we can't see, whether they be angels or rulers or things present or things to come. Powers. Whether they be from the heights or whether they be from the depths. Or anything else in all of creation. Where is your suffering coming from? Your suffering may be last night as you were trying to wait in line at a restaurant and it took five extra minutes for you to get your meal and you felt like you were suffering. Or maybe it was the traffic that impeded your way to work the other day. Or maybe it was the person who just, just got right in under your skin and just felt like they were ripping your fingernails off. They just irritated you so much last week and you felt so much suffering. Or perhaps it was somebody in your family that was mocking you because of your face. Perhaps it was that group of people that were at work or at home, that we're having a conversation, as soon as you walked in, you could sense the uncomfortable nature, not only from them, but within even your own spirit, knowing that, you know what, I'm, <laughs> something's not gelling here. I don't know what your suffering is. Perhaps it's your physical needs, but you know, living in a fallen world, we're going to face all types of suffering, just simply because we are fallen people. But we have the wonderful words that there is nothing that we go through 
that is worth comparing to what will be revealed in Christ when he comes back. So how should we live? Well, Tim encouraged us to, as the Word of God instructs us, to wait. Patiently wait. That should be our behavior in the midst of present suffering. I don't think that's enough. That didn't do it for me, so I'm going to pre- No, I'm just kidding. But what I would like for us to think about today, Pastor Charlie started out with a, a, a movie and uh, sort of a segue into his message, and I thought that, well, there was a movie that came out sometime back, What to Expect While You're Expecting. I haven't seen that movie, so I can't use that one, but it went really well with the, ter- the sermon title. So I'm not encouraging you to watch the movie, but, I, but that's sort of what I want you to think about as we go forward. What should you be expecting as you wait? What is it that you should be engaged with in your mind as you anticipate that glory that's promised to us when Jesus Christ comes back? Hopefully Paul will answer that question very clearly. The, the sheet that you have is, is pretty bare. There's a lot of white space in there. Uh, that is for not only today, if you hear something that you might want to remember or maybe even send me an email about the question, hey, why did you say that for? Or hopefully in the coming week or weeks as you consider the passage today that you can write down how this helps you. But with that in mind, let's go to the Lord for help. Father, I need you to hide me behind the cross of Christ. I need for your words to be exalted. We need to hear your word. We're not looking for anything new. We're not looking for anything novel. We're looking for the living word of God. And as we hear it, may we receive it. It's just that. And as we receive it, may we go out and serve you in a way that's worthy of the word that you've shared with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given to teach us. May he have complete freedom in our hearts and our minds to show us, to teach us, to convict us, to mold us into the perfect image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. How should we live in hope? First, I think, as we see from the text here, there should be an expectation of prayer in accordance with the will of God. Look at with me in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the, what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now we take that first word that we see in verse 26, likewise. We have to understand that there's something previously mentioned that Paul is alluding to here, right? Because he's saying, well, just like what I said, this is happening. Now we could make the mistake in saying, well, uh, likewise the Spirit helps us suffer, like we've just been talking about. Or perhaps we could make the mistake in saying, well, the Spirit is is suffering himself. 
which that's not the case either. But what the Spirit is doing, similarly to what we have just previously looked at earlier in the chapter, is that he's groaning. There's a groaning, just like the earth is groaning, just as mankind is groaning, but particularly Paul is talking about even the earth is groaning, looking for that day of redemption. But the Holy Spirit is, is groaning. Now, what are these groanings? Well, it's in accordance to prayer. If our suffering, regardless of what it may be, doesn't bring us to our knees in prayer, we're either fatally hopeless, thinking, well, what's the use? Or we're not really suffering. But I believe, as much as I can have any confidence in anything that you or I do, that the things that really cause us to suffer are the things that cause us to pray. There should be an expectation that in a life of suffering, a person prays. Again, if you don't pray, it's, you either think it's hopeless, and say, well, it doesn't matter if I pray or not, or it's really not that important. But if you're praying about it, it probably is connected to some type of suffering. And if our prayers reflect an ignorance of what to pray for, you say, well, how in the world can you say that, preacher? Well, I'm not saying it. Paul is. Paul is the one who says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought to. Now, if that's not an indictment on the selfish, sinful heart, I don't know what is. But we pray and pray and pray, and if we don't understand the fact that is fallen human individuals, but we don't need some help. We're badly mistaken. However, if we acknowledge the fact that what Paul is saying here, if our prayers reflect our ignorance of what to pray for, that is God's will because it is a spirit who intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So I'm going to draw the conclusion that if Paul says, I don't know what to pray for, the spirit helps me pray, and the Spirit is what's helping, and the Spirit knows what the will of God is and helps me know that. I'm going to assume, I'm sorry, I'm going to conclude that what I don't know is the will of God. So that when I pray, I may very well be praying something that's in contradiction to the will of God. So the Spirit helps us. That's what he says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This word for help. The, the phrase, of the way it's used in this text is only found one other time in the New Testament. It's used when Martha asked Jesus, will you tell Mary to help me? In other words, there were things that Mary couldn't accomplish on her, or Martha couldn't accomplish on her own in her busyness. So she asked the Lord, can you tell her to help me? Now that word for help that she was looking for for Christ is the same idea that we see in the Holy Spirit helping us in prayer. It's not that the Spirit prays in our stead that we say, you know what, the Holy Spirit prays for us, let's not even have any prayer meetings because we don't need to pray. The Holy Spirit's praying. Now what the Holy Spirit does is He helps our prayer. He joins in our prayer. The Father wants to hear from our heart, but the Father also understands that we don't know His will intuitively, and so we need help. So that when we pray, and we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit comes in and joins in the work. And He helps us when we pray. He intercedes. He doesn't pray instead of, but with us. Now this is going to 
beg the question. Do we really want that? Because <laughs> let's face it, we can come up with a really, really good prayer list. We can come up with some really, really good ideas about how God can work on our behalf. God, I don't have any money. I want some money. Hey, everybody want me to have some? Hey, if I get some money, I'll share it with you. Don't you want to pray with me to get some money? No, that's not what we do. Now, that's silly. But that's how we think sometimes. We get on our knees before God in our emptiness, in our hurt, in our suffering, and we think, God, this is the way it needs to be answered, and so answer it. Thankfully, <laughs> we have someone interceding who not only searches our hearts, but he knows the mind of God. But what does that do for our motivation? Does it challenge the one who's seated upon the throne of our heart? Do we really want the will of God to happen? Do we really want more suffering? Do we really want more heartache? Do we really want more inconveniences? Do we really want more poverty? Do we really want to not get our way? They say, well, I like Pastor Tim's message a little bit better than the one you're bringing. But I'm just trying to get you to think. Because when we suffer, and if we seek to enter the kingdom of heaven, we will suffer persecution. The Bible makes that very clear. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So when that happens, and we pray, are we really interested? Is there an expectation of prayer in accordance with God's will? Do we long for our will, or do we pray, not my will, but thine, O Lord? So we see that during this, this time of waiting patiently, that should bring us to the point of prayer, but praying in accordance to the will of God. And thankfully, we've got help. Thankfully, we've got sufficient help. That brings us to the next point. And by the way, I realize that this very familiar passage of Scripture that we're about to read together may have never been presented or thought of by many people within the context in which Paul presents it. This is not my presentation. I'm just simply following the flow of the text. So that when we read verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is like those folks who say, well, God will never put anything on you that you can't handle. Hogwash. That's not Scripture. The Scriptures tell us that there is no temptation known to you that He will not give you a way of escape. But God's never promised you that He will never put more on you than you can handle. As a matter of fact, nothing you face is anything you can handle. And just as many people will say, oh, well, there's a reason for everything. 
If I hear that one more time at work, I think my head's going to explode. <laughs> After studying for this passage, of this text, and hearing people, oh, yeah, this happened to me, but, you know, I just have to remember there's a reason for everything. What hope do you have in that? I mean, really. There, there's a re that, that doesn't mean it's a good reason, right? And oftentimes they will relate it to what they think the Bible says in here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where all things work together for good. Well, if you're without Jesus Christ this morning, it's not going to work out together for good for you. If I'm apart from Jesus Christ this morning, it's not all working together for some rosy picture in heaven one day. This is a very specific promise. There's a very important qualifier to this often misquoted verse. We know that for those who love God, commandment number one, <laughs> right? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. That's number one. And for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things are cooperating for good. But then the final, right after that, that you need that too. For those who are what? called according to his purpose. See, if you're just floating around the world in your life thinking when the bad things happen, oh, you know what, I'm going to just take it as it comes. It's all going to work out together. It's going to be all right. If that's the way you're going through life, you're headed for doom. But if you love God, which is impossible, apart from the fact that he first loved us, and you're called according to his purpose, it ain't working out together for good for you. But if we do, and it is, then it will. That's the hope that we have. Those who love God are those who are called to his purpose. Now what's his purpose? You see it right here. Again, something that rarely, if ever, it's talked about around the water cooler at work or at dinner at the table. For those whom he foreknew, again, the ones who everything's working out together for good for, he also predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's purpose for you and that's God's purpose for me. If you think your purpose is anything else, regardless of what books you read, if you think your purpose is anything other than becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you're wrong. That's his purpose. That's the reason why we can turn over, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 2. I was afraid Pastor Charlie was going to take my text last week as he was talking about bearing our cross. Even if he did, this would still be relevant to what we're talking about today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. This is the one of whom we are to be conformed into his image. 
Peter is talking to servants. He says, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. Sermon in and of itself, but we're moving on. For this finds favor. We could go back to the first point about praying in accordance to God's will because that's not what we want. We don't want favor because we're giving in and being a doormat. We want to get favor by showing that we're right, right? For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. By the way, that's the same word found in Romans chapter 8 for suffering. So in case you're wondering, this is a different text. Suffering, suffering. And suffering unjustly. For what credit is there when, it, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. That sounds like a good thing, right? Finding favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Verse 21. Since Christ also suffered for you, Leaving you an example. Jesus left us an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's what people who are patiently waiting on the glory that comes in Christ do. They leave it with the righteous judge. They leave it to the one who will settle the matter when the glory is revealed in his return. That's how I can have confidence saying, you know, all things will work together for my good because I love God. I'm called according to his purpose. He's conforming me to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, who's given me an example of how when I suffer, I should do it trusting him. But we don't just simply have Peter. We have James, which is really close by. So if you just turn over a few pages... Backwards, by the way, to the left. James chapter 1. Let endurance have its perfect reason. I'm sorry. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result. What's the perfect result? We know it. Being conformed to the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If we are being found to be in the image of Jesus Christ in our lives, as we continue this process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, we'll become more and more complete. We'll be more and more mature. That's what we should be looking for today. We shouldn't be looking for holy, righteous Joes who don't have any problems. We don't need to be looking for somebody who does everything perfect. But what we need to be looking for in each other as we encourage one another to be more like Christ 
to see people who look more and more like Christ. With patience. Enduring with hope. I know this would be a lot more comfortable. It would be a lot more inviting. It would be a lot more palatable if we were talking about, hey, folks, just don't worry. Whatever you're going through right now, it's going to work together for good. No problem. But we have to understand the good for which it is working for is to make us different than what we are on our own. It's to not settle for what this world settles for. It's not to be content and entertained by what this world is content and entertained with. It's not to be pursuing the same goals and interests that the world pursues. We should be pursuing the glory that's coming in Jesus Christ one day. That's going to cause us to live differently. There should be an expectation of prayer in accordance to God's will. There should be an expectation for transformation in according with God's purpose. And last, there should be an expectation to overcome in accordance with God's love. What then shall we say to these things? What things? <laughs> About eight chapters full of good stuff. Everything that Paul's been talking about. What, what shall we say to these things? That there's a holy, righteous God of whom I'm an apostle, Paul says. And I'm not ashamed of that gospel that he's given me. Because that is the gospel that's going to overcome the worldliness and the unrighteousness that we find in ourselves and in this world. That justifies us, not according to our works, but according to our faith. Because Jesus Christ has paid the ransom for our souls. Even though we struggle day in and day out with the flesh, we've been adopted as children of God. What shall we say to these things when we suffer? <laughs> i tell you what we say to these things when we suffer. If God is for us, who can be against us? How do you like those? Is there any more comforting words that you can hear? Well, I could hear that that loan got approved, or I could, I'd really like to hear that I got that you know, job promotion, or I'd really like to hear that, whatever. All those things are wonderful. And as God has ordained our life to enjoy the goodness of this life in which we are waiting for so much better, there's nothing, there's nothing that compares with if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, you have a lot of, when you, if you, you know, when you watch TV and you're in, in just inundated with commercials, or if you're going down this road and you're inundated with billboards and listen to the radio and you're inundated with commercials, and even when you're not, you open your mailbox and you can't get away from it. You look in the newspaper, there they are. Everything is biting for your trust, right? Somehow in the culture and society in which we live, we have found ways to get people's trust is to make them laugh. So most of your commercials are nothing but comic skits and trying to get you to laugh. It has nothing to do with what they want to sell you. It has nothing to do with the end result of using it. It has everything to do with getting you engaged. And I 
don't remember what I was buying, but boy, that was a funny commercial. In just a couple of weeks, if you're watching the Super Bowl, there's going to be a bunch of money being spent on a bunch of stuff that has absolutely to do with anything except just trying to get your attention and get that name stuck in your head. But you think about the, the, the more serious ones. You think about these insurance companies. Now, some of them are on, on the way extreme with trying to get you to laugh. Then others are, you know, they, they paint a picture for you. You go through and you just, you know, the tree just fell on your house. And the, the, the insurance guy, he was there before the storm even started. And uh, he knew that that tree was going to hit your house. He cares a lot for you. And you, you should trust him. You should give him a lot of money and premium so that, you know, he can take care of you when the disaster happens, right? And wow, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'd like an insurance agent like that. Or you see these attorney commercials and, you know, the stronger and the more gruff they are, you know, that they're not going to take anything off of these other people that are trying to get off, you know, get over on you. And you can trust those people to be mean for you. You can just kind of sit back and be the nice guy and let them be the, you know, the bulldog getting all after it. Yeah. I want you to trust them, right? You know, Paul could have said, If God be for us, who can be against us? You remember? <laughs> you remember that place called, uh, let's see, what Jericho. That's what it was. Yeah, Jericho. You remember that place, Jericho? I leveled that place. <laughs> remember Pharaoh? Gone to the Red Sea. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? I had him walking around like a wild animal. You should trust me. Right? He did. And <laughs> we should. But when it comes to suffering, impatiently waiting for the glory that's to be revealed when Jesus Christ comes back, and we think God is for us, who can be against us? Man, can you imagine the kind of tanks that God could build these days and all the missiles that he can shoot and, and, and all the, the, the huge armies that he can, and just bam, and all the angels that we can't see, he could call 10,000 and no. No, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him graciously give us all things? There's the pitch. The God who held back nothing. He gave His own Son so that we could be children of God. How will He not also give us all things? Paul assumes questions here. He says in verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Because he knows, oh, he knows that there's a devil out there that's saying, Hey, God, but don't you, I know Mark is your child, but didn't you see him yesterday? Didn't you see him right before he got up to preach? 
Can you conceive what was in his mind as he was preaching? You can't let that go. And you fill in the blank in your own hearts. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Praise God. Romans chapter 5. It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? You want to condemn somebody? Why in the world did Jesus hang on a cross? He's already died. Go back to Romans chapter 6. Jesus was on the cross. Who was on the cross with him? We were in Christ. So who's going to condemn? Jesus Christ has paid the price. Completely. He's interceding for us. So just as the Holy Spirit is helping us in our prayers, <laughs> we have a Savior who's standing at the right hand, sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So that as the Holy Spirit's praying the will of God, and we're praying, Jesus Christ is right there making intercession for us. Uh, God, here's another prayer from the person I redeemed from Christ. This is your son. This is your daughter. Here. And he's interceding for us. He's our advocate. He said, but don't, don't you understand? <laughs> I know my wicked heart. I know how evil I can be. I, I know how wrong I've been. And there comes that point where, you know what, just like the people who are around me, I love them to death. I love my family. I love my friends. I love the people I work with. I love whoever. You know, it gets to that point where you say, yeah, I really don't want to be around them. I really don't want anything to do with them anymore. I've given them enough room. I've given enough opportunities to get right. I've given enough opportunities to do the right thing. I've given enough opportunities to say they're, you know, they're sorry to me. I've given enough opportunities to stop doing the same mistakes over and over again. I've stopped. And so we start rationalizing like as if we were God and say, well, but so... Yeah, I get it. Christ was on the cross. He died for my sins. But you just don't know how unloving or how unlovable I am right now. I've really messed up to the point where I don't even want to try anymore. And Paul assumes that question too. So he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here's our list of suffering that I read earlier. And I think that we can read it this way. Are we finding tribulation because God doesn't love us? Are we finding ourselves in distress because God doesn't love us? Are we suffering persecution because God doesn't love us? Are we going without food or clothes because God doesn't love us? Are there dangers that I'm experiencing, a sword that I'm facing because God doesn't love me? Shall these things separate us from the love of God? 
As the psalmist said, for your sake, speaking to God, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We just have no way. We're just in a little line. We're just kind of next, killing, next, killed, next, killed. And Paul says no. There's times in human history that there that I would that more times than others I would like to sort of be in eternity with God in heaven when things happened in the past. And as I was reading through and preparing for this message and recalling what Psalm 44 said, <laughs> I would love to know what was in the mind of God when the psalmist said, are you going to just leave us here? <laughs> Can't you wake yourself up, God? And in the eternal mind of God, just as the Word of God is eternal, there was a no. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Psalmist, you don't have to wake me up. You, su you suffer now. You suffer. But in me, because of what Christ will do from their perspective, <laughs> you're going to be more than a conqueror. You think all the armies are winning right now? You think that I'm leaving you alone right now? You think that I'm abandoning you right now? Oh, no. Just wait. There is coming a day. There is coming a wonderful day in which you will be more than conquerors through Christ. Through Him who loved us. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, or, I'm sorry, death or life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Now, I don't know how many of you step out of creation within the walk of your life. But as long as you're staying within creation, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Who will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? That is as remarkable as the first verse in chapter 8 in which there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. To know that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God through Christ who gives you hope. There's an expectation of prayer in accordance with God's will. So we pray. We pray. We, we realize we need help with the Spirit. He, he prays in a way that we can't pray because we don't know what the will of God is. And so he, he helps us in our weakness. There's an expectation of transformation in accordance with God's purpose. So, th so there are things that are working together in our life. Circumstances. Experiences. Education. Opportunities. All these things. They're, they're working together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. So, so there's a living out of our life that is working together to, to the purpose of, of what God has for us in Christ. To be like Christ. 
there's an expectation to overcome in accordance with God's love that has absolutely nothing to do with us apart from the sovereign hand of God who loves us. Is that enough for you today? Is that sufficient for you? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your suffering is like. I don't know when it started. I don't know what the purpose of it is. Specifically, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know who it involves. But is it enough that as you suffer as a believer in this life, waiting for the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, is it enough to know that nothing will separate you from His love? Is it enough for you to know that if God be for you, who can be against you? Is that enough? If it is enough, your suffering may not get easier, but your joy will be greater. Your pain will not be any more relieved perhaps, but your expectation and your glorification that God is working in your life will be so much beyond what you can imagine. And again, remember, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Bam. That's good. That is, that is what we need today. That is what I need today. But what's it, what's it going to look like? What, what, what is your billboard saying? And you say, well, what in the world are you talking about now? Well, some sort of feeble attempt to bring some kind of practical application to all of this. I talked about those commercials a little while ago. Some of them are entertaining, some of them substantive, some of them still don't know what they're about. But what's your life? When you, the next person that you see outside of this auditorium, because presumably, presumably, if we're not believers, we at least know the truth. We've heard the gospel. We know what we should believe. But what's the first person that you come in contact with that doesn't believe? Going to know about Jesus Christ because of you. Will they be able to see someone who experiences life and just <laughs> goes with the punches? Well, that's what life is all about. I guess it'll get better. Or are you going to be showing as one who takes matters into your head? I'm not going to let that happen anymore. Or are you going to be the person who says, I can't quite place you, but from what I understand about the Scriptures, you look a little bit like Jesus. I know that's idealistic. But while we wait patiently and we expect a life of prayer in accordance to God's will, and we expect transformation in accordance to God's purpose, and we expect to be overcomers according to God's love, why shouldn't they?
I would like for Richard and Heather and Leanna, if they would come and lead us in a song that we're familiar with, I trust, and one that I hope will be relevant to the message and one that hopefully the Lord, as we sing it with faith and hope in our hearts, will submit these incredible truths that we find from Romans chapter 8 that we've looked at today. Father, I thank you that you have not left us alone to figure this out. I thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose, you have a calling, you have an intention of making your people like Christ, the firstborn through suffering. Father, I pray that we would take heart and place our hope firmly upon the gospel that Jesus Christ has indeed taken our condemnation and has redeemed us to live a life of faith in righteousness in accordance to your, in your, your word. So help us, Lord, now. I pray that should there be someone here or someone under the sound of my voice, this sounds really, really good, but they have never tasted. They don't know what the peace that comes from God is like. They don't know the hope and the anticipation that only can be fulfilled in something so great as the revelation of Jesus Christ as he returns to this earth in judgment and in righteousness. I pray for that soul. I pray that you would convict them. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them to an understanding of their need for a Savior because of their sin and that they would repent and place their faith solely upon the work of Jesus Christ as a payment for their sin and commit themselves to you, taking up their cross and following you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.